I think that that's something that entrepreneurship also that entrepreneurship requires. Like you have to have an intense level of confidence in what you are making, selling, uh, consuming. But, um, if you don't have that confidence in your product, no one else is going to. And I can definitely say that I have not always felt that way. Everyone has their doubts, but the second that you decide to go out there and start your own business, if you can have that level of confidence and just fake it till you make it, uh, you're going to make things happen. Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Secrets to Igniting Your Business with Bela and Mike. I'm Bela Musitz, the David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University in upstate New York. And I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. This podcast is about conversations with successful entrepreneurs you've never heard of who have built successful businesses you have never heard of. Businesses and entrepreneurs that we can all identify with. In each episode, I think we try to capture and share the essence of how interesting people often take unconventional paths to build their businesses. So we decided to interview a wide range of business people that have found and taken unconventional paths in their careers. And what we hope to do is capture some lessons, advice, inspiration. They'll help you attain your entrepreneurial goals. So join us for interesting conversations and discussions with what we think are really inspiring guests on how you can ignite your business by exploring some of the many less traveled unconventional paths that lie ahead. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, Radio Public, and Acast, and probably any other podcast system where you download your podcast from. So if you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a review on your favorite podcasting application. If you have suggestions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Secrets to Igniting Your Business with Bela and Mike. I'm Mike Wasserman, and I'm here with Bela Musitz. And today we're talking with Charlotte Hayden, who is the founder of the Better Brew Company, a startup that's making flavors that you put into your coffee at home. Bela, what were your thoughts about what Charlotte had to say. So one of the things that, that really came across in, my discuss, in our conversation with Charlotte was her passion and her excitement for this. I mean, it, it was, you can just feel it. Even though she's in Austin and I'm in New York and you're in Germany, I mean, it, it came through the speakers. So she's, it's something she's really passionate about. And you know she's been able to take her passion and turn it into a business opportunity for herself which I think is one of the great dreams that many people have. and But she's taken that dream and actually started taking steps towards it. So those were the, the two things that really struck me. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cool story. I think she can describe it better than we can. So let's just get right to the interview. I agree. Let's go. Hello, this is Mike Wasserman, and I'm here with Bela Musitz, and we are thrilled to talk today with Charlotte Hayden, who is the founder of The Better Brew Company. Charlotte's in Austin, Texas today. Charlotte, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Mike and Bela. Great. Let's, uh, let's start off the question with, when did you decide you wanted to become an entrepreneur? 
Sure. So this question is a, a little, uh, a little difficult because I don't think there was ever a specific moment in my life where I woke up and I said, I want to start my own business or own my own business. But I definitely think there was a time where I started to focus on myself and more of my professional career in general. I think it was my around my sophomore year in college and I was going through all this stuff in my personal life and I kind of just found myself where it was just me. And I didn't have a lot of people to hang out with. And I just thought, why am I wasting so much effort kind of on, on this when I could be focusing on who I am and where I want to be like with my career in the long term? And I got a summer internship outside of Washington, D.C. I was lucky enough to have family who lived there who let me stay with them rent free because they were angels. And I guess instead of focusing on my social life, I focused a lot more on my professional life. And I just bought every magazine, newspaper and book I could find. And I spent three months sitting in these plazas in DC, drinking coffee and really learning everything I could about business. And I kind of started to learn that there's so much going on with startups and entrepreneurship in the last couple of years. Like that is really where I want to be. So Charlotte, let me ask you a question. Let's go back to the to the early early years. Was there is there any history of entrepreneurship in your family? Yeah, so I definitely have some some entrepreneurship background in like my distant family. I have some relatives who have been inventors in the past and have invented some really cool things. But when it comes to like actual entrepreneurship, not as much. There's only really I so I have an uncle who's always been huge in the restaurant industry. And he was always the uncle that I was the most closest to. So I would always go down to Florida and I would visit him. And I just thought it was amazing that he owned all of these restaurants and uh, he would kind of like just walk in there and he was in charge. And I think that that was something that I always found really special. And he always kind of like took me under his wing and uh, like would sit and talk business and really serious with me where a lot of people were kind of just like, oh, like, what's it like to be a kid, you know? And it was really interesting to be able to talk and listen with him about his business uh, at such a young age. So you had you had some exposure to sort of this business entrepreneurial activity uh, at an early age. Did you do any entrepreneurial things in high school? In high school, I think the most entrepreneurial thing I did was I chose my technology classes over other electives. So for four years in high school in uh, upstate New York, I chose to take like woodshop and CAD drawing. And I was one of two girls in this 30 kid class for four years. And I think that that just really kind of opened you up to, me up to being able to like think a little bit more creatively and put myself outside of my comfort zone, which is also super popular when it comes to being an entrepreneur, you have to be used to that. Yeah, I, I think that's great because, you know, one of the things I always ask guests is is I'm trying to figure out was, as Mike's first question sort of said, was there like a moment in time when the light went off? And and for some people that happens, you know, when they're five years old. For other individuals, it happens when they're 15. And for some people, it happens when they're 65. And for some people, it never happens. And and, and that's all OK. So I'm always interested to, to kind of know when that when that light uh, went off. I definitely think for me, it was more of a more of a gradual transition where I had in my mind that I had to go out and get a job right after graduation. And that was my job for 40 years. And then gradually, I kind of realized that that did not have to be my path necessarily. Great. 
So let's narrow down a little bit, Charlotte, and talk about the current venture you are engaged in. How did you get interested in coffee? Yeah, so I became interested in coffee. Well, I actually, I cannot remember a time when I did not love coffee. Uh, when I was a kid, I would steal my mom's coffee beans and put them under my pillow so I could smell them at night. Uh, but I think I became really interested in college uh, when I was working with you, Mike, and uh, the business school and learned everything I could possibly learn about coffee farmers and farmers in general in Western Uganda. And what we really did is we learned everything we possibly could from growing coffee, to transporting coffee, to roasting coffee, to actually making people coffee. And what I realized is that what you get at a grocery store, what you get at a cafe, so much has to go right in order for you to get that cup of coffee. And I just found that so fascinating that this thing that you're buying, so so much effort went into buying this cup of coffee. So let me get this straight. You are in a classroom in Potsdam, New York, right? What is that? Population 10,000, right? At Clarkson University. And then you got to go to Uganda. How did that work? Sure. So um, we had a grant from uh, a former alumni of Clarkson University who donated some money so that we were able to study the effects of microfinance and social entrepreneurship. And I was one of the research students on this program that was really focusing on how we can provide access to uh, lines of credit to people who might not necessarily have readily available financial resources. Cool. Okay. So now fast forward a little bit. Um, Tell us about the current opportunity you're working on. Sure. So uh, I graduated from college and I got a job working for a great software company in Austin, Texas. And I loved the company, but uh, the job was something that I wasn't super interested in doing. But based on my experience at Clarkson and my experience in school, I realized that I wanted and I needed to do something in coffee. So I quit my job and I'm sure that upset a lot of my parents, um, but I quit my job and I got a job as a barista working for a local Austin, Texas coffee company. And um, I, I realized that they were doing their own homemade syrups and getting really creative with it, such as lavender and rosemary um, honey and all these creative flavors. And I was, and I found out like, I can't get any of these flavors at home. And I would travel around to different coffee shops in Austin. And I found they had cool flavors too, but I still couldn't get those cool flavors at home. So Charlotte, just let me interrupt for a second. For those people who are not coffee connoisseurs, when you say different flavored syrups, just explain what that means. Right now, most people are used to getting traditional coffee flavors, whether that is vanilla, hazelnut, mocha caramel those are really and that and that's sort of roasted into the beans is that how that yes. works uh so there you it can be roasted into the beans but what we really do with the better brew company is we allow that kind of that added flavoring so you already have the beans and you make your k-cup you make your drip coffee pot at home and then what you do with our flavors is you pour in a little bit of a, it's called a syrup into the coffee cup. So think about it like adding creamer, except this time you're adding the flavor to your drink. So you're able to really control the amount of flavoring that your drink has. Got it. 
what I did is I just traveled around Austin. I went to grocery stores. I went to coffee shops and I was unable to purchase flavoring at home. And I know you can buy beans that already have vanilla in there, but at that point you have no control over how much vanilla your coffee has in it. And I know that you can go out there and you can buy creamer that has a vanilla or a pumpkin spice flavoring, but I didn't want creamer. All I wanted was the actual flavoring itself to be able to put in as much or as little as I wanted. Cool. So you had this idea. What happened next? You thought I could actually make this a a product. And then what did you do? Who did you talk to? What research did you do? The moment I really decided to take this, this idea that I had into reality is I was I was just sitting at home and I was just, I go through all of these uh, different coffee blogs that I read. And I just said, I can't, I just kept thinking, I can't believe no one else is doing it. So that same day I went to a networking event at my local WeWork and, or one of the six local WeWorks in Austin. And I just decided, Hey, I'm going to tell people that I'm doing this. And I went around and I asked people what what they like about their coffee, what they don't like about coffee. I traveled to, uh, it was Austin Startup Week, and they had a whole day on consumer packaged good brands. And I went around and I sampled flavors to people. So I was making coffee syrups in my kitchen, and I brought them in these little bottles that I made. And I was just handing them out to everyone who would take one and asking them, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in buying? But I also spent a lot of time talking to like old professors Uh, spending time researching on Statista, finding everything I possibly could about the market in order for me to really decide whether or not this would be a venture worthwhile. Okay, so let me get this straight. You quit your well-paying technology job that you kind of went to school for. You got a job as a barista to follow your passion. You recognized a market opportunity, and then you started to develop a kind of a business plan or a business idea um, around this just by getting up the guts to go to a WeWork event and to go do some networking. Do I have the story straight so far? Definitely, yes. Okay, this is cool. I could see why your parents might have been a little bit um, concerned about this, but I think it's really cool. Okay, so keep going. So now, okay, you're, you're at the point where you've talked to people, you've got some samples made. What's the next step? How do you decide what to do next? Sure. So the one thing that's interesting, and this transitions pretty well, because my background was always in software and technology startups. And all of a sudden I was trying to do a food startup. And what you realize when you're trying to sell things that people have to eat is that there is a substantial amount of regulation and rules around how you prepare that food and how you sell that food. So I needed to find people that had a lot of experience in doing this. So I visited a commercial kitchen in Austin. It's like a co-working space for people who make food. Uh, And I spoke with the owners there and they were super helpful. And they basically gave me a checklist of all of the permits that I need. So right now I'm actually checking, going down the list, checking off everything I need in order for me to sell this legally and also make sure that I'm in a, like a safe environment to do so. Cool. And then you decided to do a Kickstarter. How did that process work? Yeah. So the moment I decided to do a Kickstarter is really as I'm moving down this list, I noticed that these permits and setting up the legal entity in order to start the Better Brew was going to be very expensive. Whether it's getting your food manufacturing license, getting your sales tax permit, getting your LLC, getting business insurance, getting a kitchen space. Those things all cost a ton of money. 
And I think that this is normal. Uh, and I thought this when I first started this too, it's like, okay, I have a business idea. I'm going to go ahead and start a Kickstarter. Uh, but what no one tells you is exactly how hard it is to do a Kickstarter. Tell us. I mean, because I've been teaching entrepreneurship for a long time. And believe it or not, you are the first of my former students to have, as far as I know, have a Kickstarter go live. Yeah. So, and I, it's so interesting. And I hope that like the Kickstarter gods don't get mad at me, but you almost need to have a Kickstarter for your Kickstarter because your Kickstarter almost has nothing to do with Kickstarter itself. You need to have someone make you a video and your video has to be really, really good in order for people to be engaging with it. So I had to find, I had, was lucky enough to have a former uh, classmate make my video at like a huge discount and he did a great job, but I had to make a video. I had to make collateral to go with the video. You have to have an entire social media strategy. I actually know a girl who's running a Kickstarter campaign right now, and she has one person solely devoted to running her social media for her Kickstarter. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a one person team right now for the most part, and it is hard to keep up with everything. And what no one tells you too, is that your Kickstarter is going to survive based off of everything you do outside of Kickstarter. You need to have press releases done. You should be having events. You need to do outreach on social media to every single person you have ever met in your entire life. You need to have email campaigns. You need, and if you do it the right way, you need, like I said earlier, you also should set up your Kickstarter under a legal entity. It's not just like one person doing this. You need to be living, eating, and breathing for 29 days or however long it is this Kickstarter, pushing content and doing outreach. So Charlotte, this is, this is great because I think the real lesson here, or as I'm listening to this, is that when you're out raising capital, whether it be in Kickstarter or whether it be from angel investors or whether it be from venture capitalists, it's a full-time job. It's not like one of these is easier than the other. The types of things people look for may be different, but it's a full-time job raising capital. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you have to be willing. And it's, it's just like raising capital. I mean, you're talking to everyone you've ever met in your whole life. And this is, I'm kind of treating this Kickstarter like my friends and family round. Um, because that's who I'm really, that's who I was like focused on originally is that before you kind of get to like that angel round or your next step, it's like, I have to be able to really sell this idea to someone. And the people who are most likely to do that originally are going to be my friends and family. So I had a question about the business a little bit for a second. So you're making this uh, food product. Can you talk a little bit about the decision process you went through to decide to manufacture this yourself or to go to some third party and have them manufacture it for you? Yeah, definitely. There, and this is kind of in line with that question. So right now, like when you are selling a food product, you can either make it yourself or you can use what's called a co-packer. A co-packer typically is someone who will like make your product for you, package it, co-packing. And you have to, but you are responsible when you do that to either like cut a sort, cut a profit deal with them or you share the profits, but you also have to invest in that a little bit more. And so what I wanted to do, and the reason that I've decided to manufacture this myself at first is so that I can really get a good eye and keep a good level of certain control over the flavors and the products I'm producing. Uh, especially at the Austin Startup Week, I learned a lot about things that can go 
not so great with co-packers. Um, and especially since I'm so new to all of this, I wanted to make sure that I had the exact idea of what my product was going to be. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. I got another question. So you're, you're in sort of Austin, which is sort of a hotbed for one of the, one of the several hotbeds for entrepreneurship in this country. And so what kind of role did that support infrastructure and these meetups, et cetera, play in, in, in nurturing this for you and, and keeping you excited about it? The community in Austin has been 100% crucial to, or not 100%, like 95% crucial <laughs> to the success that I've had so far. I mean, they have been so nice. I think that, especially from my experience in software, I felt like whenever I would go to a networking event, people were either trying to sell me something or recruit me. But when I've been going to these CPG events, people are asking what they can do to make my life easier and to help sell my product. So for example, there's a local Austin company that right now that wants to uh, purchase a lot of my bottles already. And they really were talking to me about this before they had even like had more than just like a smell of my product. And I think that that's something that if I was not in Austin, I would not be getting this much support. I also, I had a meeting with a really nice guy. He's, uh, his background's in branding. And he spent an hour drinking coffee with me at Whole Foods. And he was like, just like staring at my bottle, thinking about what we could do to get uh, a better brand or get people to really understand what Better Brew is as a brand. And I didn't pay him. He did this all for free. And he's a very like expensive, experienced guy. And the fact that I'm in Austin and this community is so welcoming uh, is incredibly helpful. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So it's been a challenge. You've learned a lot. What are you looking forward to? I think what I'm looking forward to the most is um, probably my first big sale. So I think I mentioned this earlier, like I'm working on putting together a deal where someone is going, we're, we're either going, uh, another CPG company in Austin, we're either going to do like a limited run of one product together, or we might sell like a package where it's their product and my product together in a package, but it would be in like the hundreds of bottles. And that's something that I'm really excited about because it's not only showing that, uh, like one person believes in my idea, but a lot of people are going to believe in the idea. Uh, and I think that's going to be a milestone that I'm really excited for. And also just kind of getting out there and doing this right now, like the Kickstarter, like it's definitely real, but once I'm doing this a hundred percent of my time, I think it'll be really exciting. So despite all of the challenges you faced, you're still, you're, you're still planning on being an entrepreneur, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. I think that I've never really felt this way about so passionately about any of the other things I've worked on in the past. And I, I know this because I launched my Facebook page recently and I've had my Facebook since like 2008 or like a really long time. And I made my Facebook page and there's this button you click and it's invite all friends. So it's like invite every person I've ever been friends with on Facebook. So like all 1400 of them. And in most cases, I would be really nervous to tell 1400 people that I started my own business. And this time I had no hesitation at all hitting that invite all friends button and saying like, this is what I'm committing to. That's great. It's a great story. Bella, any last questions? Yes. So here I am listening to this podcast at some point in time in the future. And I want to learn more about this uh, better brew and how do I buy some, et cetera. What would I do? 
Yeah. So you right now you can find us at thebetterbrew.com. And there you can learn all about us, like our mission, why we're doing this, and also find out where you can get us on uh, Kickstarter. But you can also find us on social media at Better Brew Co. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, I got one more question, Charlotte. So as you reflect back on this journey of entrepreneurship and getting the inspiration and, and starting Better Brew, if you were sitting down with some other young individuals or any, any individuals, what what kind of bits of advice would you give them? I think it's, and this sounds like really cliche. I'm trying to not be cliche about it, but you really have to um, believe in yourself. I think that that's something that entrepreneurship also, that entrepreneurship requires. Like you have to have an intense level of confidence in what you are making, selling, uh, consuming. But um, if you don't have that confidence in your product, no one else is going to. And I can definitely say that I have not always felt that way. Everyone has their doubts. But the second that you decide to go out there and start your own business, if you can have that level of confidence and just fake it till you make it, uh, you're going to make things happen. Great, great words of wisdom. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thanks. We realize you're in a very busy phase right now of your life, and we appreciate you spending a half an hour with us and telling us about the better brew. And uh, we wish you the best of luck. Hopefully, we'll have you back uh, when you launch product 2.0. So we hope that... uh, this builds and builds and you become very successful in this venture. Me too. Thank you so much, both of you, for having me. Yep. Thanks, Charlotte. All right. So this was Charlotte Hayden in Austin, Texas, The Better Brew. Thanks again for joining us on another episode, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, Bela. Bye-bye. Thanks, Charlotte. Bye-bye. Bela, you were right. That was a, a really interesting interview. You really could feel Charlotte's energy from Austin all the way to here in Munster, and I'm sure you could uh, in upstate New York as well. What were the key takeaways for you? So one of the big ones that really stood out for me was she recognized what she didn't know. I mean, Charlotte's in her mid-20s, I think, and you know she's, she's blazing off on this new trail she has a passion for coffee. So what what did she do? She quit her full-time job and got a job as a barista, which that is a great, you know, if you want to get in the coffee business, you should be serving people coffee and sort of get a feel for how that works and what's involved, et cetera. So I was really impressed with that. The other thing I was impressed with was she she acknowledged the things she didn't know. And she went out and networked and found people who had that knowledge and can either impart that knowledge to her or or help her in solving some of those challenges and problems. Because one of the things in every business is it's almost impossible for one person to know everything that's involved. And particularly when, when you don't have a lot of life's experiences, it's even more challenging. So she she tackled those and she did all of this with a real bias for action, right? She didn't talk about, well, I studied this problem for five years before I went off on it. I think she she also came to the realization that you learn more by actually doing than you will ever by just studying it. Yeah, it's lean startup. If anybody's ever read that, that's uh, something that I like to use a lot. And, and it's the idea of fail fast, but fail smart, right? And learn from it. So she's really doing everything she can, I think, to learn fast and hopefully it'll work. I think that, um, that yeah, that's the idea of using the, her resources. She's been great at, I know, 
that's uh, sometimes a challenge to go out and find those resources. In Austin, it's a fantastic place to be an entrepreneur, as she said, in terms of the resources that are there and the people that are there. But I've also found that in all kinds of nooks and crannies all over the world, that there are people who will always help you if you just ask. And there's resources there for people who are starting businesses. And, and so you just need to go out and find them. So yeah, if you're in one of these great hotbeds for entrepreneurship, by all means, get out there and start to meet people and think and learn. But don't be frustrated if you are not in one of those places, because I've really been in small towns and in and, and small places all over the, the, the world. And, and there's always people there who are willing to help you. You just got to ask. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Mike, that we shouldn't be discouraged if we're not in Silicon Valley or Austin or New York City. There are people who know stuff about business and many different aspects of it distributed all around the country. And many of them do not, these days, do not need to be in the same town that you're in anymore. They are reachable through many other ways of that we communicate these days. You know, LinkedIn, uh, it, for one thing that I think about, it's a great way to search for people who are expertise. And it's amazing when you ask people how willing they are to help you. I've always been astonished by that. Yeah. So this is a great story, I think, Bella, and I'm, I'm glad Charlotte agreed to, to join us. This is really, I think, a neat person who has is taking an unconventional path and is kind of chasing what she's passionate about and learning about herself and hopefully uh, make a little bit of money all at the same time and make the world a better place. So it's kind of a neat combination of, of events that I think it kind of captures, hopefully, what we're trying to do with the podcast. So I hope that this resonates a little bit with some of our listeners. We encourage you to go check out her Kickstarter, the Better Brew, all one word, dot com is her website and it points to it or you can Google Kickstarter and the Better Brew and I think it should come up. And we hope you come back and, and join us for future versions of our podcast. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, Radio Public, you name it. Hopefully we're there. And uh, if you like it, tell your friends. Love to get a review or favorable rating on whatever you use for your podcasting. Suggestions and comments, by all means, send us an email at bela.ann.mike at gmail.com and we'll be coming back at you soon with another episode so thanks for listening and uh, we appreciate your comments feedback and support yeah folks thank you i'd add one thing to that mike we would love to get some questions from listeners and we'd have, be happy to try to answer those in one of these episodes of the podcast so if you have any questions about business or entrepreneurship or anything in general send them into that email address and we'll try to address them on the air thanks again Absolutely. All right. Great. Thanks, Bela.